the answer is no, I don't think you need to be an engineer or have that background, but I think it definitely helps. And I think I would expect any product person to really have that technical understanding to at least ask the right questions. Welcome to The Wagon Live. This week, we have Mark Abraham, head of product for ASOS speaking to us. Mark is an experienced product manager and ex-lawyer in London. In 2018, he wrote a book called My Product Management Toolkit, where he offers cutting edge advice and thoughts accumulated during his career. ASOS is the leader in the online clothing industry and pioneer to expand the most advanced technology into the customer online journey. They introduced the augmented reality tool last year as part of a trial which had really positive results. The website sells over 850 brands as well as its own range of clothing and accessories, as well as shipping to over 196 countries. That's in the UK, US and EU. Keep listening to hear his interview, his career change and product management advice. So I, uh, as you say, I studied law in the Netherlands, which, uh, which is where I'm from. I, I worked as a corporate lawyer for about four years and I did a lot of kind of mergers and acquisitions, share transactions. And I always felt I was a bit late to the party, you know, companies that had already done their deals. And I came in with my colleagues, obviously, for the paperwork at the end. And that prompted me initially to do an MBA, so Master of Business here in the UK. Uh, we're talking about nearly 15, one, five years ago. And I realized, you know, during that MBA, because everything was new to me, everything that was taught there, whether it was you know, HR related topics or marketing or supply chain. I couldn't go back to law if I wanted to use all of that. So I made it my first career change, if you like, where I stayed in professional services. So I ended up working for a very big accountancy firm uh, in London. And that's where I was exposed to my first digital software rollout project. It was very much a client relationship management system. And actually, without knowing it at the time, I was doing all the things that I expect a good product person to do to really understand. We'll come back to this later on in the conversation, no doubt, but understanding what the needs were of the fee earners in the company, training people on it, really iterating based on feedback. And that got me excited about, you know, working in the digital space. So that was effectively my second career change because I wanted to get into digital. And uh, I saw really one participant who is looking to make uh, a, same, a similar kind of move. And I have to be honest, uh, particularly with that person, but with anyone actually, is that it was quite a hustle to make that change from you know accountancy, professional services to digital. Um, but I spent uh, probably a good year on top of my day job doing a lot of pro bono work with uh, digital startups, particularly, but also some established companies where, you know, it worked both ways. I helped them with things like creating a business plan or helping with their marketing or product management um, because I couldn't afford necessarily to get consultants, for instance. And it helped me because I learned more about digital products and how to startup worked. Uh, startups worked and built up my network. And that gave me my first, um, eventually my first role in the digital space is a project manager. And I will no doubt talk about the difference between project and product management in a bit. Um, I did that for a few years, mostly worked on agencies, but that was great to really get a grounding of, you know, what's involved in building a website or a mobile app or a social media platform, working with clients, working with engineers, working with designers. Did that for a few years and I thought, this is nice, but a bit boring as well in the sense that as a project manager, you're very much responsible for a project. So what you're accountable for is effectively taking a brief to say build a website or build a mobile app 
and deliver it on budget, on time, um, and within scope. Now, you do that a few times, fine, but it's not as interesting about as I feel at least product management, which at that stage back in 2010 was still a very new discipline, at least here in the in the UK. Um, but I learned very quickly, and that's what excited me about getting into that role, was that you're really responsible for a product and a set of features throughout the product life cycle. So it's much broader, it's much more engaged. So I got my first product role in 2011 uh, as a junior kind of product manager. And, you know, I'd like to think I've, I've done a number of roles, junior, senior, head of, VP, all the great titles, uh, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about. But that's, in a nutshell, my career. Does your marketing diploma help you in your, uh, in your current role, Mark? Yeah, so just to explain, I did that marketing, uh, I got that marketing certification because I worked, when I was working at the accounting firm, as I mentioned, I was working in a marketing and business development role. So I thought, you know, if I go to the Central Institute of Marketing, I'll learn about marketing, which at the time was useful. Uh, no more than that, but it's good to, when you work with marketeers to at least speak the same language. Now, if you ask me, does it help me? Yes. Uh, but what I would say, the reason why I think it helps me, not even just the marketing stuff, but even some of the things I learned during my MBA, where you learn about you know human resource and you learn about supply chain, is that it enables you to work with a lot of people across a lot of different dis disciplines. So you can imagine at ASOS, you work with people who work on the supply chain side because they're working on warehouse-related stuff. They, you work with marketeers. And even though I'm not a marketeer or a supply chain expert, I have a bit of a starting point uh, where I can ask questions or where I can ask the same uh, language or sorry, talk the same language rather. And product manager management is a buzzword, uh, but it seems every company has a different approach. How is it at ASOS? Yeah, so uh, absolutely true. It's, it's very much a, a buzzword. I think with, with ASOS, we're still on a bit of a journey. I think uh, for me, product management is, is really comes down to one thing, which is solving problems for customers. No, if you think about ASOS, yes, that is uh, external customers, consumers, you know, people who buy fashion, but equally those customers could be people working internally, working in your warehouses where you're trying to develop a new system uh, or working in your customer support center. Um, so I think ASOS is definitely on a journey where they're trying to move away from, you know, purely working on projects which you know, ASOS is very good at. So a lot of strong people are very good at delivering things. But I think one of the things that a product person will do is to really make sure you're delivering the right products for the right reasons to the right people at the right time, right? Um, and, that's, uh, and that is a journey that ASOS is on, very exciting journey, doing really well, particularly you know, being super customer-centric, uh, starting to use data a lot more in terms of experimentation. And that's one of the reasons why I why I joined about uh, a year ago, because I really wanted to be part of that journey. True. As a product manager, uh, you've worked in different uh, type of sectors, TV, retail, tech. What are the difference and which are the challenges? Yes, I work in different products. And you can even have another distinction, which I've also done, which is B2C, so where you go directly to customer like ASOS or B2B, where you work for other businesses. But I would say that the difference is not that massive, really not. You know, whether you're, you know, I work for a company uh, which is called UView and they do these set of boxes, right? Um, so a lot of what we did was kind of hardware, right? 
physical boxes. Um, think about the steps that you go through in terms of understanding what problem is this physical box, box trying to solve? Who's the customer? How can we get it to customer? How do we know it's a success? Those are the kind of questions that you would ask irrespective of whether you're building a website or you're building the heart of a box, if that makes sense. I think, you know, like I already alluded to, there's a few common elements that you will deal with when you're managing products, which is typically customers, problems, um, making tough decisions and dealing with stakeholders. I'm sure there's more kind of elements, but those are the key ones that I think are worth bearing in mind. The ones that you, you meet every day, like... 100%, 100%, you know, whatever. And again, irrespective of whether you're working on an app or you're working on in TV as a sector or content or you work in fashion, that kind of mindset where you think about what's the problem here? Who's the customer? How do I know I've solved this problem? How can I measure that? How can we design a good customer experience that helps to solve the problem? You know, that is, I would say, that is agnostic to whichever sector you work in or whichever product you work on. And this brings us to the next question. Uh, what is the toolkit that sets you apart as a product manager? And here, tell, tell us more about your book, Mark. Yeah, so my book, obviously, I would be amiss if I didn't show you my book. Uh, I wrote that book because I started blogging, first of all, in 2010. If you go on markabraham.com, uh, we'll share the link afterwards. My blog is called As I Learn. So I started blogging about the digital space and about product management without even being a product person. But it was one of my kind of ways in, if you like, to at least build a bit of credibility or at least understand a bit more about that space. And um, increasingly, people said, well, Mark, how do you do customer interviews? Or how do you write a, a problem statement? Or how do you assess an opportunity? Or how do you create a roadmap for a product? And because I felt I get, got the same questions you know, quite frequently, I thought, you know what, I'm going to, within my blog, I'm going to write a range of I call them toolkits, my product management toolkit posts, right? Where I would take a post and I would write about this is how you, you can do a customer interview or these are the things to bear in mind when you have to prioritize product backlog, for instance. And then people said, well, this is great. Can't you bundle it into a book? And I thought, uh, me writing a book? But that's what I did. I would say, though, with the caveat, uh, and I'm happy to talk about that a bit more later on, is that obviously it's a toolkit. It's very much written to people who are quite new to product management or want to go into product management. And I'm not saying, oh, this is the blueprint. You do everything that's in here and you'll be absolutely fine. What I think it will give you is almost, you know, a, a bit of a repository of things that you can just pick and mix as you find helpful or even as a bit of a reference when you're like, oh, how do I do this again? Where you can go back to it. But I'm always very careful to say, you know, because product management, as you said, it's it's very... It means different things to different people, to different organizations. So it's not like there's one blueprint or there's one set toolkit. Sure, you just share your point of view from inside the sector. I definitely, I'd like to think in this book, you know, I've written about what I've used, pros and cons, what, where it worked well, where it didn't work well, where it's appropriate. And yeah, you know, I feel very blessed because I've had a lot of good feedback where people said, yes, I have been able to apply some of these things and to think about some of these tools. And that's exactly why I wrote the book in the first place. That's good. And now what's your interaction interaction with the engineers where you work? Um, well, I think not just at ASOS, but wherever I work, I always try to work very closely with engineers. It's obviously slightly different when you get to a slightly more senior position where you are head of product 
uh, and your your most direct engineering counterpart is a CTO, let's say, or head of technology. Uh, but what I find interesting that I don't know if you've come across this, Cornelia, but there's some companies where product managers sit in one corner and engineers sit in a completely different corner or they sit on a different floor. And that's that feels very alien to me. So because from the very first role um, I took as a product manager, I've always been embedded uh, in a cross-functional team, working with engineers, um, working with designers, and we didn't have those kind of barriers and stuff. Didn't mean that we, you know, we didn't have good challenges and good debates, but I think that's really helpful. I think what I always try to do is work very closely with engineers and try to involve them as early as often as I can in that process of creating a product. And the way I typically try to explain that to people, because uh, sometimes people are a bit nervous, like is there overlap between what a product manager does with uh, what a designer does and an engineer does? And I try to break it down effectively into the why, the what, and the how of the product. So the why is very much understanding why we're building a product or a feature. So what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Is that product a problem even worth solving? And that's something I definitely expect a product manager or product owner to be accountable for. doesn't mean that he or she just, you know, makes that up on their own. And But ultimately, I expect a product person to really identify the right problem to be worked on and ideally deliver a solution to that problem. Now, the what is where you start getting into solution space. And if you haven't involved your engineers, you know, it's. I think it's a mistake if you haven't even involved them in the why stage. But if you haven't involved them in the what and the how stage, and how is very much the kind of implementation of solution, as a product manager, you know, I think you're missing a few tricks because it's so important that you get that input, not just from engineers, but also from designers to say, you know, okay, we understand the problem. Let's look at a number of solutions. Let's evaluate whether we can actually do these solutions. Maybe there's other solutions that we haven't considered, right? So I always try to work very closely with engineers and um, and really try to include them in the process from start to finish as much as possible and as frequently as possible. And you've been a product manager for a very long time now. Uh, what will be your advice for a junior? You know, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure that my advice for a junior would be that different, to be very honest with you, to the advice I would give to uh, a more senior product person. But I think the main things are for for uh, for a junior product person is really be curious, uh, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If you're not sure what's happening or people talking about some jargon that you're you know you're not familiar with, just say. Can you can can you talk me through this or I'm new to this or you know that very basic curiosity is such an important kind of component of being a product person. You know, I always say, you know, if there's one tool out of my book, you know, that I want you to to apply, it's 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 a three-letter word, which is why. Asking those kind of questions, really trying to understand why we're doing this, why we're not doing that. Why are we considering this? Why do you think this is a good idea? No, and you don't have to do that in a difficult kind of way, but that curiosity is really key. And especially if you're a junior, you know, I think that also elevates you from just being a product person who just, you know, writes user stories or gathers requirements and keeps a backlog, which is great. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to go beyond that, I think that curiosity that I mentioned really serves you well. And I would also encourage you from 
almost day one is to not be afraid to try things to whether it's to experiment or do something that you haven't done before um learn from it improve on it and do it again um you know for instance give you a simple example i remember in my first role as a product person, I was struck by the fact that we didn't really talk to customers. And I was like, why don't we talk to customers just to see if our ideas are working or, you know, just test things or even see how they raise our competitors, for instance, right? And people said, well, we don't have a dedicated user researcher or we don't have a dedicated UX team. I was like, okay, well, then I'm going to do it, right? Uh, And I would definitely at the start of your career, uh, but actually throughout, but if you want to learn a lot in a short space of time, I would really encourage you to just do those things. You can still ask for help and you don't have to have all the answers and it has to be perfect, but use particularly first years in your career to just try lots of different things. Cause you're not, you know, ultimately as much as I like to sell lots of copies from my book, obviously you're not going to learn it from, you know, reading about it. You're going to learn from doing it. Yeah, I think I think this is the most difficult part in those days because everyone wants to look that we know everything and it's really difficult to to put that apart and ask what we what we don't know from the ones that are around us from the ones that we work with. Yeah, and and, and, and I get that that's that is tricky, especially if you're kind of new in a role or you've been asked to look out for products so you think, oh, I can't mess up because, you know, I'm responsible, my baby now, right? I'm responsible for this product. I have to guide it through its whole life cycle. But there's definitely ways to to be a bit smarter about how you ask for help, right? You might find a buddy within your company rather than, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable just saying why or I don't know, you can at least go to someone senior or someone more experienced saying, this is what I think and this is what it's based on. Because again, the worst thing that can happen is that someone says, nice, Cornelia, I've seen, I can see your thought process, but actually it's X, Y, and Z. And that's cool, right? But so there's, what I'm trying to say is that really don't be afraid to ask those questions. And there's way, there's good ways, if you like, of asking those questions in the first place. That's very good to hear. Do you need a technical background to be a product manager, Mark? Uh, I would say no. Uh, And I'm living proof of that. So you'd always expect me to say no to that. I think it definitely helps to have that kind of background. Uh, But it's something that you can learn. And when I say learn is not that I expect you to be, you know, an engineer yourself after a few years or write beautiful, elegant codes, but at least be able to understand the basics of, you know, system design, you know, dependencies between systems, some key things to look at when you're rolling out a feature from a purely engineering perspective, whether it's, you know, redundancy, whether it's things like uh, performance, right? And at a minimum, using that information to be able to speak to engineers, because engineers don't expect you to talk to them like an engineer, right? I've, you know, I've tried that a few times in my early stages and like, no, Mark, you're not like us, please. But what they, what they do appreciate is if, if you can speak a similar language that they do, or at least the basic components, and be able to ask the right questions. So what you learn very quickly, and I think you have to learn as a product person, is to really ask the right questions like, all right, okay, have we thought about what this means for the back end, for instance? Have we thought about whether we can cope with the load? What have we thought about how we integrate with other systems, for instance? Those kind of questions, again, they expect, you know, I would expect that you have a bit of basic knowledge about how things work. And, you know, Google is your friend in that case, or even talking to people is, 
is, is really helpful to understand, um, to get that basic understanding and be able to ask those questions. But that really helps you because you'll find that you'll be able to just call out any kind of, you know, things that you think, really, are you saying that? Are you Because you think, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but also from a credibility point of view. So the answer is no, I don't think you need to be an engineer or have that background, but I think it definitely helps. And I think I would expect any product person to really have that technical understanding to at least ask the right questions. True. Uh, and let's come back to your, to your role now. What are the main steps for launching a product? I think, again, it's not even unique to, to ASOS. Uh, whatever product you work on, you'll be thinking about, again, when you get to the kind of launching a product phase, right? So you've done a lot of the building, you're testing, and I would always encourage you to not treat testing as something that you do at the end of the road, but you really want to test throughout. Ideally, you want to release a product, maybe even if you do it in beta, but testing is a really, you know, I call it, if you talk about it from a, go-to-market perspective, right? Testing is really important with customers, with internal people, see if anything is broken. Um, I think the other thing I would say when you talk about launching, and that's a mistake I've made previously, where I would treat the whole kind of marketing launch um, as, a, as a bit of an afterthought because I was so focused on building a product or a feature that, and then on the end thought, oh yeah, yeah we, yeah, we need to get it to users and we need to talk about it and how do you do that? So a bit like I was saying about working with engineers before, I would really encourage you to work with a marketeer or your marketing team throughout that process. So really think, okay, we're going to do this. Let's already start thinking about how we're going to get this to market. Do we even know who the customer segments are? Do we know which markets we're going to launch this in? Are we maybe have a going to start in Germany first, see how it goes there. And then we go to France, for instance, uh, things like internal training, you know, you, you can launch a new feature, uh, can be really small, but suddenly you've got a customer support center who get flooded with questions about how the size and new size and fit guide on the ASOS website works, right? I'm making that up really important that you've told them beforehand that A, that you're launching it and B, that you've taken them through it. So they're familiar with a feature or with the system or with the product and can answer any questions. So those are some of the key things. And then once you've launched it, I think another thing that is easy to forget because we, you know, we tend to launch things sometimes and just move on to the next thing. Right. But really to say, okay, well, can we measure it? So that's another key thing I would say as part of that launch product, make sure that you build in your analytics and don't forget about it. Not just writing code, but make sure analytics is part of your de definition of done for a particular product or feature. Because then once the product is live, you can actually really, both quantitatively, but also qualitatively from speaking to customers, measuring how the product is performing and using that information, that data, to make decisions on whether you should improve on it, maybe do more of it, maybe kill it. Uh, so that's another key aspect that sometimes gets forgotten or people realize too late. Okay, Mark, we've talk uh we, you answer our our questions now let's move to to our listeners uh questions because we have a lot so the um, the first one is the most uh popular one let's say and it's from Joyce Lam and it sounds like like this what are your top tips for uh job hunting and or uh, Career changers. Um, yeah, I think I, I would make a distinction. Like I think Joyce is doing because 
I wouldn't say it's easier or stuff, but it, I think it is different if you're looking to find a job in, in the same space or something that you've done before. I'm not saying that's easy, but that's, you know, making sure that you can talk about what you achieved um, and really have some documentation or some evidence of what you've achieved in that same role or in a similar kind of sector uh, previously. But I think it's much more challenging when you're changing careers. And the, the biggest, you know, the simplest uh, advice I can give to Joyce and the others is hustle. Because I think what I have learned, and maybe now it's a bit easier, uh, but changing careers, you have to be a bit more creative. Uh, so for instance, you know, no one is going to say, oh, Mark, I can see from your CV that you used to be a corporate lawyer. I think you'd be great to work in marketing and business development, right? Not at work. So for instance, then you, then I did, then I went to lots of marketing and uh, business development events where I said, well, oh, you know, I do a lot of marketing. I'm really interested. And I had a little portfolio with some marketing examples that I carried around with me. Uh, it's a really simple example, and that might not be for everyone, but it's just to, to, to explain that if you want to change careers, you have to really take into account, you have to spend a lot more effort and a lot more hustle in terms of really positioning yourself in a way that people see you know they're happy to take a risk you know you could argue they are taking a risk uh right because you're doing something new uh and really building personal relationships because i find career transitions it's not the kind of thing where you just go to a job ad or a job board and say yeah i'll take that role i'll get it even though my cv doesn't work like that right because people sift through them and say Go, but if you know, if I know that Cornelia, I've had a relationship with you, and you understand where I'm coming from, and I've shown you a few things. When you get to a position where you want to hire someone for a role, where you know that even though I haven't done it before, but I'm very keen, and I've been in your face a few times. We had a few coffees, and we we met at similar events. It might be a completely different story. True that. Another popular question I can see is: What is your approach to A/B testing at ASOS? Yeah, I don't know what I put that question. I wasn't sure what the approach, uh, what the question was in terms of, you know, how often do we do it? Or uh, we try to do it where where relevant. I think that's that's the answer. And that's, again, not unique to ASOS. But I think sometimes people get so excited by testing. And as much as I love experimentation, I really believe we should all be experimenting. And uh, But I think the key thing is, and that's the ASOS and elsewhere, is really understanding what, is this worth testing? How unsure are we about this, right? Are we, is the A-B test going to give us the answer, right? How long will it take us to get to, the, you know, significant sample size, for instance? And so we're doing that ASOS. What I'm trying to work with the, work on with the product managers is I want them to really ask those questions before we even start designing A-B tests to think about, is this the right thing to test, right? Um, are we, are we losing traffic? Are we creating a bad user experience? Because again, we do a lot of th that testing, but I think we can do more of it. And I think, especially when it's not your bread and butter, like Amazon, apparently, you know, they do experiments like it's nothing, right? But if, if you still you know, have some steps to make where you want to really make sure you're testing the right things in the right way at the right time, I think a product person can really help asking the right questions and making sure we're testing the right things. And getting the right learnings ultimately that's what you're doing in the first place sure another interesting question is from michael 
as a business development manager selling to e-commerce companies, what type of tech knowledge do you expect from people who work on the business side of tech companies? If you're dealing with um, the business side of tech, you know, again, I can't speak for all technology companies, but you have to take into account that a lot of these people are necessarily tech savvy and they don't have to be because you're dealing with the CFO or you're dealing with the head of marketing. I think it's a minimum you want to make sure that if you have questions which have a technical bearing, so for for, my, for Mikkel, for instance, like I want to understand which uh, systems you're currently using or what the dependencies are or whether you're using APIs, just making this up. At a minimum, Mikkel wants to make sure that whoever he's dealing with uh, understands that question so that they can either just ask around and come back to you uh, with the answer because and because they've got limited, you know, got the understanding needed to at least figure out like who do I need to talk to within my organization, or if if everything else fails, that they can at least point you in the direction of the right person within the organization. So that at a minimum is what I would expect from business people who you've got, you know, technical questions for. So at least the solving mind problems. Yeah, it's it's just very practical, right? If they can give you an answer when you know you're the CFO and I'm. And, you're my main kind of, you know, stakeholder, uh, or I'm selling assistant to you, but you, seriously, you don't know about tech dependencies and performance issues or what system you currently uh, need to use and how you want to migrate the data and stuff. At least you hope the CFO would say, right, sorry, Mark, I'm really out of my depth here, but let me hook you up with the head of data, for instance, or our chief data scientist, for instance. Sure. Uh, what are some of the challenges you've come across with leading product team and how did you overcome it? Well, hiring is always a challenge. Uh, and that's not just for hiring the product person, but you want to make sure, especially when you work, like I said before, with cross-functional teams where you've got an, a product manager embedded in a team, so a team of engineers, it can be front-end, back-end, full-stack. Designer is, you want to make sure that those people really gel, right? And that doesn't mean they have to be best friends and come to each other's birthdays, but they can really be constructive and they can really work together and, you know, norm and storm and fight through some battles in a constructive kind of way. So hiring is always a key aspect uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't go away. I think the other challenge is always make sure that, um, I think two things, clarity and focus. So as a, as a head of product and leading product teams, uh, you want to make sure that you are clear what the direction of the company is, what the key KPIs or OKRs are, what are business objectives. Then it's down to the individual product managers, ideally, to really feed that into our to their teams. And I've had challenges where I had to help product managers to really do that consistently and clearly because uh, some people struggle with that. So it's that kind of clarity and also focus. So I've come across teams that were just doing things like, spending way too much time, not doing the right things. And again, they were busy doing lots of stuff, not even saying bad stuff, but they weren't doing the right stuff. And that was purely because that connection between, you know, those business goals, priorities, and then really making tough decisions on what not to do and what to prioritize, uh, that wasn't working. So as a head of product or a VP of product, that's where you help teams and individual product managers. Another question is, what does a good and bad product manager, management look like? Yeah. Um, 
Wow, good question. Well, a couple of things I would always say. So a good product person for me, and this is how I typically interview, and you can find that online as well, because I write about this. Before I even start thinking about your specific skills and your background and all the rest of it, the key things I always look for in a good product person is that curiosity, which I mentioned. It, do we have someone here who's asking, who's not afraid to ask questions or go and find the answer themselves and, and, and try to, you know, really ask why? So curiosity is really key for a good product person. Uh, a good product person is customer centric, like you wouldn't believe it. Again, whether that's the external customer or, or it's the internal customer. And I'm every time, you know, you might think, well, that sounds obvious, doesn't it? But you'd be amazed when I interview people and they're like, well, I don't really talk to customers or they don't really know what they want. And I'm, you know, crying inside a little bit. So customer centricity is the second thing. Um, the third thing is really about communication and collaboration. So as a product person, a good product person is really in the middle, working very closely, not just with, with engineers, like you asked me previously, but also with marketeers, with senior people, with people in the call center. And, and it's, you know, all their eyes are on you uh, to, you know, give them an update, to make decisions, to engage with them, to involve them. So you need to be that, you know, have that be a good communicator, be open to collaborating with people constantly. Um, so I would say those are the three main components. So curiosity, being a good communicator and collaborator and being 100% customer centric. Because the flip side of that is when you ask me about, you know, what's the bad product manager is one, and I've seen those who work in silos and come up with great ideas, PowerPoint decks, and then say to an engineer or a team, like, you know, let's do it, right? Just, just, yeah, I've done my bit. You just go and execute and write some user stories. That's not my job, right? That for me is lovely, but that's got nothing to do with product management, um, to be honest with you. Um, cause, yeah, it's not, it's not collaborative. It's not uh, engaging with other people to really figure out the right problems to focus on, coming up with the right solutions. But equally, I've seen people with the best of intentions wanting to do too much. So I've seen particularly more junior product owners who would do everything for their team from, you know, running all the kind of agile ceremonies, you know, the stand-ups, the sprints, the taking notes in meetings to making sure all the engineers and designers were happy. And if they weren't, that they could always have a listening ear with the product manager. That's lovely. But the downside of that is that you end up what I call as a, as a product janitor rather than a product manager, because the janitor will clean up everything that other people are not really want to touch or not happy about and what that also means is that you don't get to the nub of product management which is focusing on the customer looking ahead of what's coming next what's happening in the market because you're so busy just being the manager of the team effectively which is not your role another question popular question is how did you convince employers to hire you without prior in those industry experience uh, yeah, very good question. I still ask myself that question. But um, joking aside, I did a lot of, like I said, the pro bono work that I did helped me to gather some av evidence, right? Because to to come back to Joyce, uh, Joyce's original question about, you know, changing careers, that's really hard because you can't tell from a CV that if you've done marketing, you'd be an amazing fit for product management all of a sudden, right? Um, so... 
what, what helped me in those conversations with people is to really, from that pro bono work that I did with startups and established companies, to say, yes, I know on paper I'm not a product manager, but this is an app that I've been involved with because I work with this startup and they asked me to really write some user stories or do a business case for it. And just having the evidence really you know, help me to, to build up some credibility and to really start speaking the same language, even though for all intents and purposes, I've never done it as a day job. I still had built up some, some evidence. So if anything, I would always encourage you, particularly if you're part of the wagon to, to really create these side projects where you say, well, I'm not a product manager. It's not on my CV, but listen, I built a product, launched it to market, learned from it, iterated on it. So Actually, I am a product manager, right? And you're not talking BS because you've got the evidence there. So, see, so it's all about be curious and learn from the ones. Yeah, because I saw I see a question here from 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 Helen in terms of you know pro bono experience. Yeah, yeah. to not only just really demonstrate that you've gone beyond above and beyond. Whether it's a side project, you're doing an internship just so you can have some evidence like I don't, you know, I want to become a product person or whatever role you want to change into just because it sounds sexy or I can earn more money, but you've really got evidence that you've done that. You've invested time and effort into getting into that space or getting into that skill. Sure. I pretty much ask all the questions, I think. I don't know if you see any that's interesting or... There are always lots of questions. What does a product manager do? Oh, that's quite a that's quite a broad question, um, but I, I would say is you really you get involved at all the different stages of coming up with uh, of working on a product, and whether it's a completely new product or it's an existing pr- product, you'll be doing on a day to day basis things like making a lot of decisions, particularly around prioritization, where it's like you know the team will come to you or stakeholder will come to you, should we be doing this or that? How do you prioritize? Do I work on a new feature or do I you know, resolve some technical debt first. That is one of, you know, one of your key tasks on a day-to-day basis. Also taking the high-level kind of ideas of the solution, translating them into user stories. And that doesn't mean that all you do as a product manager to answer Zach's question is write user stories eight hours a day, but you, you know, I'd expect a product person to write down what kind of you know interactions you expect the customer to have, what behavioral changes you want the feature to uh, have uh, in relation to the person using it, for instance, and then for the for the team as a whole to comment on those, to add to those. It's a collective process, but as a product person, you are uh, accountable for for writing those and really making sure that people understand what we're trying to achieve and what that looks like. Uh, Another key thing of what I expect a product person to do is to speak to customers, to learn from customers, to learn from the competition. And again, we don't have the time to go into that now, but there's lots of different ways of doing that. Um, so yeah, hopefully that gives back uh, a few ideas of what, what it is that product people do on a day-to-day basis. I know that you also have some side, pro- side, uh, side projects. So I don't know if any of, of the people on, on the on the call today are familiar with Mind the Product, but we're we're a global community buying for product people. So that includes product managers, but it also includes uh, designers, engineers, startup founders, anyone effectively involved in creating great products. And we started uh, back in 2010. I remember going to one of the very first few meetups of Product Tank 
in London, which was just a bunch of product people wanted to get together to figure out what the hell we we're doing or wanted to be doing in product management. Obviously, as I said, product management has grown quite a bit since then. So Mind the Product has, has definitely grown from that as well because we started running these meetups initially just in London. Now we've got meetups, uh, local product management meetups in 200 cities across the globe. Uh, we started doing conferences, which again are for really broad product population. I'm involved with with both, both the local meetups, working with the local organizers, as well as you know finding interesting speakers for these conferences that we organize. That's really interesting. And still you have time to have your blog as well. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, you know, the blog. And again, for those of you who ask me, like, how do I change career or... Again, for me, part, initially it started as a way of two, uh, two, two reasons, I guess. One was to really demonstrate to people, even though I wasn't necessarily working in product management, I was spending time learning on it, uh, learning about it. And this was a way of documenting it, uh, which really helped me in interviews and people doing a bit of research about me before you know, invite, deciding whether to have, invite me for a conversation in the first place. And the other simple thing is, and, and again, that's how the book came about as well is that it helped me to create a bit of a repository of different tools and techniques and approaches that even though I might forget about them, you know, two minutes after writing the blog, but I would get to a situation maybe a year later and how do we do that again? And I would literally just search my own kind of blog, my own repository. That's really interesting. So yeah, um I'm just um I'm just looking at you. I'm just trying to see if there's any other kind of questions. I think we're closely coming to the end of it. Um, I would obviously say that if people want to connect with me afterwards, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter as MAA1. Uh, on LinkedIn, it's Mark Abraham with a C. And if you type in ASOS, you'll find me even uh, quicker. So if you've got any questions, because I know we covered quite a bit of ground in a relatively short space of time, you know, I would encourage you to connect with me afterwards and I'll, uh, we can continue the conversation there. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 